Thank you for tuning in to the Bill Bradley Collective. This episode was recorded on March 15th, 2020. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we recorded remotely, and we apologize for the audio quality in this episode. This is not up to our standards. Thank you for tuning in to the Bill Bradley Collective, a weekly podcast located at the intersection of sports and politics. With your hosts, Andrew, Ed, and Zach. Welcome back to the Bill Bradley Collective. Today, we're going to talk about the only thing anyone has on their mind, the coronavirus and its impact on all parts of our lives. But we're going to just concentrate on sports for now. So, Zach, do you want to kick it off? Yeah, uh, it, we are recording uh, currently on a Sunday or what would other be, otherwise be known as Selection Sunday uh, for the NCAA Men's Tournament. And about, well, last week, the NCAA uh, originally said that they were going to go do a tournament without fans uh, for the conference tournaments uh, since some had gotten started and then for the overall March Madness tournament. That then turned into a full-on cancellation. Uh, came out they wanted to do a six-team bracket, and then they just decided to cancel it altogether. And now we're stuck with one of the biggest uh, events, month-long events in sports in, in the country, just not happening, and, and a lot of students going to be able to miss out, you know, rightfully, it's the right call, uh, but missing out on on their big opportunity. You got you think about a guy like uh, Obi Toppin on Dayton. You know, how many times is Dayton going to be a number one seed in the country, and he's going to the NBA next year? But, you know, you, you, could, you probably couldn't have had those players uh, traveling around the country, especially, you know, coming from Washington or California, uh, the hotspots, and then having to play all together. It's the right call, and I mean, you know, think of the think of the poor sports books. Oh my God, they must be taking quite the the loss this month. Um, but it was it was the right decision, and the fact I I'm troubled by how it sort of took so long to come together. Where like, you know, you've got the like the Big East tournament played. Um, their they they played their first round. That they're sort of like playing round. They played one half of the first of four quarterfinal games on what would have been last Thursday. And then they, they saw that everybody else had canceled, and then they decided to cancel. Um, this is, I, I've heard it put this way. Every one morning is the tip of the iceberg, and the whole massive iceberg shows itself by the end of the day. And the next morning, a new iceberg shows itself, and it's twice as big. Um, I just I wish they were a little more proactive. I wish they had acted a little faster. Um, I f- I feel for the kids. I think that it's and I've heard this part about giving the the seniors an extra year of eligibility, um, which I think is a no brainer. I mean I think it would maybe incentivize them to pursue something at the, at the graduate level, and I think it's only fair because a lot of these, especially at the at the at the blue blood top schools, these kids they play for. To play in March. That's what it's about um, in, in, a, in a big way. And I hope that they hope common sense prevails and that they get that extra year of eligibility and a chance to play next year. No, Dad. When I heard Gino Ariyama pitch that uh, idea of giving seniors another year of eligibility, I just assumed he had a really bad recruiting class again. <laughs> <laughs> Their best players um, leaving. I, there is no sport, uh, no organization that is going to have the financial impact um, that the NCAA has over this decision. Obviously, they had to do it. To fly kids a 1,000 miles away, 18, 90-year-olds, 
And maybe finding out that the team had one person with the virus and then have them, you know, quarantined a thousand miles from their family is not acceptable when you're dealing with, with kids. But 75% of all NCAA revenue is in, in the tournament. They don't make that much from football because the conferences take so much. So do you, do you this think- is my fear is that this is going to be used as an excuse to cut back on Title IX provisions, which, of course, the Trump administration will be excited to waive uh, so that it'll be women's softball and you know women's track that really get hammered in this and that the ba- and basketball will figure out a way to still remain relevant. Um, you know, that's my fear. Yeah. See, I was going to ask if, uh, if you guys thought or, or dad, you know, you especially, uh, cause, cause what you were going to talk about with the coronavirus is, you know, the, these players aren't getting paid. This is obviously a massive revenue loss, um, to the NTAA as an organization because of the loss of their workers. Like, do you think that this will kind of, at any point, awaken anything in these in these players or in these programs or in labor uh, to kind of push what they did in Northwestern and try to organize some of these workers? Since now it looks like, you know, there's a tangible leverage that they can point to about what their labor produces. I have always felt the problem with the problem with organizing um, the workers. I mean, the, the players, which are the workers. Is the same problem you're running trying to organize grad transfers. Is you're organizing positions, not people, because by the time you're done with the fight, the people who started it are no longer in those jobs. I've always believed that the way to organize it would be if the NBA Players Association said, We have an ancillary connection to our future workforce, and therefore, we're going to, we believe we have the right to try to organize them ourselves. The NBA Players Association, I could see doing that. The NFL Players Association can barely organize themselves. But uh, I could see the NBA Players Association at least making that argument. Now, you know, in Trump's labor department, uh, you know, labor board, that'll get probably kicked back. But we don't know what it's going to be like in three or four years. And, you know, maybe that's the time to do it. But it's going to have to be somebody who's invested in it, who's not the current players, because they're not going to be the ones who benefit from it. Yeah, I think that so, that's, I think that's true. And, and you know, go, moving from the NCAA up to the next level of these basketball players, you know, Dad, how do you uh, want to talk about the NBA and, and how their season has been canceled as well? Yeah, the, the NBA, uh, you know, it, it, there was nothing more surreal than watching the uh, game on TV, the Dallas and I forget who Dallas was playing, uh, <clears throat> game on ESPN, and suddenly hearing that the league was canceled, but the game was still be going on. Um, <coughs> I, I just felt that that was one of the weirdest moments of my life. And I, I had gotten, I had been dealing with the virus all day at work. And I just said, you know, I want to go home and just watch a game and forget about it. And then you realize, oh, yeah, there is no place you can go to to forget about it. That It's everywhere in our lives now. What has been heartening is seeing some players, uh, Kevin Love, uh, Zion Williams, of, of Williamson of all people, Giannis, and 
other players stepping up and saying, you know, we'll pay the salaries of some of these workers. I, I like Zion's idea, who's 19 years old, of adopting one of the one of the groups of people who are affected in 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 the in, you know in the complex and saying I'll pay all of their salaries and benefits, and because that created a challenge for everybody else, which I think they're meeting. Who's not meeting it is a lot of the owners who are billionaires. Nancy Benson, who is worth three, not Nancy Benson. Uh, what's her first name? Gail. Ann Benson. Nancy Benson used to work with yeah, Gail, Gail Ann Benson. Benson. Gail. Who's worth $3 billion has not lifted a finger. Mark Cuban was the first one to do it. Dan Gilbert, who would like to be remembered for something other than sending out the LeBron letter and Comic Sans, uh, <laughs> has done it. I think other owners have done it too. I'm guessing the Knicks have not. Um, but it is an opportunity, you know, the players are standing up and showing the moral example, even though this is going to have devastating long-term effects because between this and the China issue, the cap may go down next year, not up. So players who are expecting to make more money in free agency will be making much, much less um, in the next, next year, perhaps the year after. So, but yet they're the ones stepping up. So it's been one of those, moments of hope in a dark dystopian nightmare that we're living in see i i associate my negative association with dan gilbert is his fucking son at the lotteries at the draft lotteries his obnoxious like twerp of a son that's always up there and there's other like gms and like dignitaries and this punk kid that's for a different day but um it's funny, you just described it as like this dystopian nightmare. And it, it reminds me, seeing the players step up the way they have, and the owners, in large in large part, minus Cuban, minus um, Dan Gilbert, um, it reminds me of these stories that pop up pretty much daily about kids that are donating their allowances to, to pay their fellow students, like, lunch tabs. Like, those... You know, like, what are we, what are we doing here? You know, how, and you mentioned, you kind of stole my thunder with Williamson, but like, there's a 19 year old rookie setting this example that, you know, you know, I just think that when we look at this concern over the the workers and and it's great that these players are stepping up and doing the right thing on Rudy Gobert, who's patient zero in the NBA, uh, even stepping up and doing the right thing. Half million. Is that a lot of these uh, stadium workers are workers of color, and a lot of them are an outsourced uh, employers that are working for the company, and that's why they're not getting paid, and that's why they're not getting benefits, and it's this structure that we trap uh, a lot of low wage workers in, is that this is the job you're going to get, and if anything ever happens, you're kind of screwed out of luck, uh, and I think it's important to remember a lot of the workers that aren't as lucky to have, you know, somebody like Zion Williamson, uh, who, you know, really for a 19 year old kid is remarkable to, to step up and do the right thing, uh, that are going to be losing a lot of money, uh, during all of, all of this. Yeah. I mean, it is true that charity is a sign of, of social failure that when individuals have to step in where the government should be in, should be in or the state should be the community structures should be taking care of people is a sign that there's a, there's a failure in the structure itself. Um, 
you know, I, I think the best thing that the NBA players could do for their workers, frankly, is say we will never cross the picket line regardless of who in the stadium is picketing because that would give unbelievable leverage to some of these workers. But I think that's a long way off. So there's one sport that's continuing to move forward, Andrew. Mixed martial arts, the ultimate fighting championship. Um <laughs> So they had an event, and not a major event, not a pay-per-view, but a, I guess, like, a fight, fight night. night. Fight, fight night. night. Yep. Uh, it was yesterday. It was in Brazil. And they had it before an empty venue. Um, Dana White aggressively last night on, I believe, Sports Center, uh, And he's, he's not backing down. He wants to push forward. He wants to have events, whether they be in front of nobody, in front of just doctors and, like, media, whatever. They have like, maybe Brandon, you can help me. Like, they have that in Vegas. What's that? They moved an event. I believe it is in April um, from Utah to Vegas at in their it. facility. But they have two upcoming events that are supposed to be, I believe, in somewhere near. I want to say London. Right. Which is well, there's a there's no fly zone. There's no fly zone. Yeah. <laughs> but Dana um, White is sticking to. They are having these events. Dana White said that, uh, and Dana White is. It's well known that he's that he's a. Uh, a buddy, of a friend of, of the administration of Trump, and Trump told him to proceed as, you know, hey, pr- proceed as, as normal. Um, and he's, this. it's just, it's so bad from a, from a PR level, and it's, I didn't watch the card yesterday, but I, I just, what are we doing? What, you know, having these events in front of empty buildings, what, it defeats the purpose of, of sports. It's it, sports is in a lot of ways, like it's live entertainment. And if we're going to have these events before no people, it's, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I, it speaks a little bit. I think there's a bit of a moral bankruptcy. Um, it's wrong when every, when everything else is canceled, it's, I think it's wrong, um, for the UFC and white to sort of proceed like nothing like like nothing's going on i i watched a little bit of the the fight yesterday yesterday i watched the undercard and it was so surreal because you're watching it and they're acting as if nothing is different uh they're doing the announcing the walk-ins uh the interview after the fight as if there's a crowd there and they're just talking to nobody and it's this kind of you know disconnect where you're looking at this going is this worth it? Is this even entertaining anymore? Um, <laughs> you know, like what, what, what is the, game. yeah, exactly. It's, it, 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 it's just, you know, it, it's kind of bizarre to see all these sports uh, canceling and, and, and not moving forward. And then a sport that is almost in entirety of body contact and, and fluid contact with another person uh, just continuing to move forward. Yeah, you guys are UFC fans. I am not. I'm a boxing fan. But I would have bet everything I owned, which is basically the couch, that um, which I only have two. I only have half of actually. That UFC would continue because it's their. That's their niche. You know, that's their audience. You know, we're not pansies. We're not backing down any virus. It's like these morons who are insisting on going to. You know the, the uh, Chicago parade and hanging out in bars and like, we're healthy. We don't care. And of course it's just incredibly dangerous, but the, you know, they don't give a shit about their athletes. That's their whole business model. 
we don't care who lives and who dies. Somebody else will be desperate enough to come along and fight next time. He's a bad person, and ESPN's a bad organization for showing it. Don't show it. It's reckless. Don't show it. Tell people to stay home. You know what you could do? Put on old Friday night fights when Max Kellerman called. Hey, still own them. We could see. Uh, we could see uh, Roger Mayweather, who was a very fun fighter. We could see young Mike Tyson. We could see a whole bunch of cool fights from the eighties and nineties and early thousands. And we could have that, and it would be fine. It would be fine. I'd watch it. You know, I don't remember who won a lot of those fights. It was 20 years ago. I have to ask, does the name Emmanuel Augustus or Emmanuel Burton mean anything to you? Ooh, Emmanuel Burton. Emmanuel Burton. Mickey Ward. That's one of the great Friday night fights. Like, him and Mickey Ward. (laughs) Show that on a loop. Emmanuel Burton thought it was a moral failure to duck a punch. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, his his Gotti. I mean, he fought uh, Ward, right? He he, the, on, the, on Friday Night Fights. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, and I think that's what the um, the movie The Contenders about. It's not the Gotti fight. I think it's the it's, Burton fight. I th- I'm, I believe you're right. I believe you're right. Yeah. So yeah, that was a terrific fight. Yeah. yeah show Mickey Ward fights. My God, you know that, that's fine. You can just show, them, but but it's it's just bad. It's bad public service to be putting these things on television and acting like everything's okay. Because everything's not okay. People just stay home. And you mentioned it, the half the half brother, the sort of like, you know, stepsister, whatever, of UFC, WWE, which you mentioned um, also just, so their flagship event, WrestleMania, was scheduled to take place uh, the first Sunday in April in Tampa, Raymond James Stadium, home of the Bucks, 70,000 people projected to be in attendance. They refuse to cancel this thing. They just and they aired. Um, they did. They did an empty arena show on Friday night, which was just like a disgrace and an embarrassment. But their insistence on like their their failure to realize that they need to just get out and cancel. And I get it that it's their flagship event. I get it. But what's right? There's right and there's wrong. And all it's like they're waiting for them to be. It, they're waiting for the state to cancel them so they can like collect fucking insurance or something. Uh, it's it's a yeah, disgrace. That's what, that's, that's what they're waiting for, yeah. and that will be canceled, I'm sure. And of course, we have to remember that the first lady of the WWE is in the Trump administration, so mm-hmm. it's a uh, small jump. And Donald Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. That's right. Which is, he is. He, yes, he, which he is, is a, a presidential first. He is a big part of WrestleMania's history too. I, I'd hate to. I don't want to get into it, but like he, Trump Plaza and AC hosted WrestleMania's four and five. He was a big part of this big WrestleMania they had in Detroit like ten or twelve years ago. Um, then he got inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame at MetLife Stadium and got fucking booed. It was it was amazing. And this is like 2013. He's getting booed off the stage. So, so the, the WWE Hall of Fame, which it, is it, Stanford? It's a farce. <laughs> I don't believe it has a physical building. It's it's a disgrace. I mean, because it would be a plaque that would only have like eight one-syllable words so people could get through the entire museum <laughs> in less than a day. <laughs> yeah. yes. God almighty. I, I didn't even know. Well, you know, there's a recreational vehicle hall of fame in Indiana. You oh. know. So. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds fun. <clears throat> Springfield, Cooperstown, Canton, Stamford. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
Canadian Golf Hall of Fame is pretty close to Toronto. And it's got like, I don't know, three golfers in it. <laughs> Mike Weir. <laughs> it Mike Weir. <laughs> it's it's that's, just that's Mike Weir's house. You yeah. walk in and there's Mike Weir. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Would you like a beer? Uh, I've got a bolt today. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> hey, Mike, uh, Mike Weir, that's a perfect segue into uh, let's talk about the PGA Tour briefly and what they. Any opportunity to bring up golf. Well, I'm, you know, I'm coming out guns blazing here. I'm going to shoot. Um, so this week, in it, well, the timing, the PGA Tours, not golfs, but the PGA Tours flagship event, the Players Championship, um, which is, it's, you have the four majors, Masters and the US Open and the Open Championship, the or the British Open as it's known, and the PGA Championship. The PGA Tour, while they sanction these events, have nothing to do with the running of these events, like they do the running of week in, week out, every event on tour. The Players Championship, held annually... In uh, and Jackson, right outside Jacksonville, Florida, that's their crown jewel. It's the it's the richest tournament on on in the world. It's got the biggest purse, um, and it's a, it's a, it is a big fucking deal. And it's not a major, but it is it is the fifth most significant event of the year. And again, it's the crown jewel of the PGA Tour schedule. So on Thursday, they decided to just carry on. They they held they held the day one of the event with fans with a crowd. Um, despite really a lot of a lot of stuff started getting canceled the night before that was Wednesday night was the NBA shutting down and basically Thursday morning was uh, the NCAA shutting down well the PGA Tour decided to push through okay they announced about halfway through the round that they'd continue the tournament Friday Saturday Sunday with no fans in attendance <sighs> just disaster like and I and by by Thursday night at about midnight they just said we're gonna scrap it we're done, okay. Um, Jay Monahan is the commissioner of the PGA Tour, and he he makes this he made this decision, um, and he really, I don't think had any interest in making it until the LPGA Tour commissioner decided the day before to scrap the next month's events. Um, the PGA Tour, pretty much what they did was, they only did the right thing when they were. The, the, back, the proverbial just back against the wall. We have no other choice, but we have to cancel this. And it took, instead of, again, getting out in front, doing the right thing, doing the responsible thing, they basically waited to the last minute to do that. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a, just a disgrace um, that it took so long. And the fact that Thursday they held this event, um, a, lot of, a lot of the tourist fans, like they skew older. A lot of the gallery, I'm sure, skewed older. And these are the people that are, I, they say, yeah. are at most at risk in this you know, pandemic. You know, I think it's... Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, because that, that isn't much. I mean, a PGA event in Florida is like a Venn, circ, a Venn diagram that's just a circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it is, you know, golf is the one sport that you could probably do without fans and nobody would notice you know it, 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 it's about the same um you know minus Jim Nance just have to yell it's in the hole sometimes <laughs> exactly um but even then like the risk you know you think about where these guys play and, and all around the world and traveling it's like even just being you know out in a foursome how much those guys would be at risk and for them to have taken it this long is you know the, the, these organizations just are trying to get every last penny they can rather than err on the side of caution. Bingo. 
Well, and, and it just gives you an idea of these commissioners who tend to just be stooges for the money people are incapable of making a decision that is for the public good, even though sports are treated as a public good. I mean, you know, my God, baseball's got an antitrust exemption. You know, they're treated that way, but they don't act that way. And it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, it's being, I mean, Roger Goodell makes $44 million as a commissioner. I wouldn't let Roger Goodell run a, a you know, a Fleischum shoe store. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and yeah, they just, they just continually make, do the same things over and over. And again, you know, at some point as a sports fan, you have to ask yourself, am I complicit in this? And, uh, you know, well, yeah, the answer is yes. Yeah, you're right. Not, they won't, they won't cancel it anyway. It'll be that, there'll be that mega church in Oklahoma who said, shake the hand of the person next to you. We're not pansies. We're God soldiers. Shut up. I would much rather be recording this podcast while like watching the finish of the Players' Championship and watching the brackets get revealed than not. So yeah, I'm absolutely complicit, totally guilty. But at the end of the day, I can recognize right and wrong. And yeah, yeah, yeah. shut it down. Shut it down. I've just been watching old videos of like the I, 2017 mm -hmm. NCAA tournament best moments and just that's all I get through much. There's been a lot of UConn on like ESPNU in the last couple of days. A lot of Big East tournament stuff. Yeah. Some good, some not so good. You know, but. I think uh, I th Mike Leach last night at a three thirty four in the morning, I, I thought tweeted out some wise words. Uh, that, He's a sage. This is from you know Coach Mike Leach said, "Look up Jimmy Doolittle in the raid raid on Tokyo. It's what we as Americans are all about. We've always overcome American adversity. It's one of the proudest stories that America has to offer." And uh, I take comfort in that Mike Leach is up somewhere at three thirty in the morning. Watching like the sea level programming on the History Channel <laughs> and just getting inspired to fight the coronavirus. Mike Leach well, never fails to disappoint. Well, well, you know he's not designing the, uh, defensive strategy. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. But anyway, well, that's our first sports podcast about a, at a time when there are no sports. But uh, the key advice, no matter whether you're listening to this the day after it's posted or six months later, be healthy. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. We'll see you all next week.